In Titus chapter number 2, if you don't mind standing, we'll begin reading in verse number 10. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 10. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Lord, we ask that you would just add your blessing to the reading of your word. Pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would use uh, the message to be a help to your people, that you would encourage us, challenge us, strengthen us, or convict us, whatever the need may be. I pray that we would be yielded and surrendered to everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The Bible says, a faithful man who can find. You know, I think that that truth has never been more real than in the day and age in which we live today. Uh, I think we're living in a day when that truth is more relevant than probably ever before, where faithfulness to God, faithfulness to His Word is extremely scarce. Now, I'm by no means an old man. I'm going to go ahead and say that again because that was a really good place to say amen. I'm by no means an old man. Oh, come on, it'll slow. All right, I don't feel that I'm old. Maybe this half of the over, maybe I might disagree, but I don't feel that I'm old. I'll be uh, 41 in February, and I know you were thinking nah, I was shooting for like an athletic 25. So, uh, but no, I'll be 41 in February. And even in my short time of ministry, I've seen far too many compromise the Word of God that have turned from truths and Bible principles and doctrinal beliefs that they once stood for, that they once held, I've known preachers who have disqualified themselves from the ministry. I've known some that I went to Bible college with who were going to win the world for Jesus Christ that are managing department stores today. I know people that have changed their doctrinal beliefs to appease the culture. Here in verse number one of, uh, of our text, Paul tells Titus to speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. He then proceeds to pass on to Titus some doctrinal truths uh, for him to hold to. And in verse 15, he tells him these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. He was telling Titus, stay faithful to these things. Stay true to these things. Hold dear to these things. Proclaim unashamedly these things to all that will hear. And tonight... I'm thankful for a church like Oakwood Baptist Church that still preaches these things. I'm thankful for a pastor like Pastor Jones that still preaches these things. I'm thankful for the church that I come from in Michigan, Brother Hightower, uh, 68 years of age, still preaching these things. So why would somebody go to Michigan? I, I get it. I'm, I mean, of all people, I'm a diehard Ohio State fan, and it's, it's been brutal. It, it, I, I almost respect Clemson fans now. I mean, it's, it's, I'm getting there. Uh, it's been brutal. Well, one part is, you know, I'm, I'm now 13 hours away from my mother-in-law. That, that helps a little bit. Um, I, t I told our, the chapel kids today that, you know, if you rearrange the letters in mother-in-law, it spells woman Hitler. And so that, that's real. You can do it. And so there's something to that. Um, but even up there in Michigan, there's churches like Oakwood that are still preaching and teaching and believing these things. And I'm grateful for that. And I, I'm so thrilled for the, the path that God has uh, for my life and just how God has led me. 
I have a, a very unique perspective. God has allowed me to do uh, some amazing things. I, out of Bible college, I've been, I've had now, uh, been able to work for the pastor that I've worked for in Michigan is the pastor I got saved under as a teenager. And so been able to work for him and then work with Pastor Jones both here and in North Carolina, who was my youth pastor whenever I was a, a senior in high school and worked for him for, uh, I guess, almost 11 years total. And people that have greatly influenced and impacted my life and basically set the pattern and course for everything I believe about the Bible and ministry and uh, philosophy on life and so much more. And you know, I was thinking about that as I was just trying to plan on what God would have me preach. Here, my pastor that I got saved under, Brother Hightower, 68 years old, and Pastor Jones is, well, I remember the black-haired Pastor Jones, so I'll just say that. I, just, I, I won't go any further than that. And Believe me, it, it existed once. I can show you pictures. Um, and so, having that opportunity to, to work and serve alongside the pastor I got saved under and work and serve under my former youth pastor. And it's just been awesome. But you know, the truth is, I'm glad that my pastor in Michigan believes and preaches these things. I'm glad that Pastor Jones here still believes and preaches these things. But I just want to say tonight that I still believe these things. That as the next generation, so to speak, the next one's up, that I want to make sure that I am faithful and staying true to the Bible in these same things. So with the time that I have tonight, I just want to declare that I still believe these things. I want to give you quickly four truths that we still need today that Paul told Titus to hold dear to. Number one, I still believe in salvation by grace through faith. Look at verse number 11 again. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You know, there is a universal need. The Bible says that all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And so God provided a universal remedy when it says the grace of God appeared to all men. Our sin, the Bible says every one of us is a sinner. Our sin amounts to rebellion against an all-wise, all-loving, all-seeing, all-powerful God. His omnipresence places him on the scene of our transgression. His omniscience makes him aware of our every thought, our every word, and our every deed. And yet, instead of pouring out his wrath and his judgment upon us, he extends his mercy towards us. Instead of pouring out his wrath, he extends grace towards us. He does not overlook our sin. That would violate his holiness. Nor does he just simply offer to forgive us our sins. The Bible says that he offers complete justification. And what an amazing Bible truth that is. That means that when I got saved, God didn't just forgive me of my sins, meaning that still to this day he sees me as Gary, who did a really a whole lot of bad stuff, but has been forgiving of that. No, no, he doesn't see me as a sinner that's been forgiven. The Bible says he sees me as if I was never a sinner. He sees me completely innocent, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He declares us righteous. The Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He removes our sins from his memory by an act of his mercy and grace. Titus chapter number three, verse five, says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So your good works won't save you. If you do any amount of door knocking, soul winning, you hear stuff like that all the time. People say, well, I'm working on it. So are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Well, I'm working on it. I hope so. No, no amount of working on it. Your family traditions won't save you. Your church won't save you. Other people praying for you won't save you. Being baptized, sprinkled, dedicated as a baby, none of that. 
only by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. By His grace and His grace alone can we be saved. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you. I'm glad that you're here, but being in church cannot save you. As good of a church as this church is, no church can save you. We're only saved by what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Romans 11, verse number 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, and it is of no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. Some of you are sitting there like, what? Yeah, there's a little tongue-tying at times. But what the Bible is just simply saying here is that Jesus didn't come to help you on your way to heaven. No, Jesus is the way to heaven. It's all of him, and it's only of him. It's nothing that I can add to that. The Bible talks about all of our good works. Our works of righteousness are as filthy rags. All we do is mess stuff up even when we try. And so the Bible is saying Jesus didn't come to help you on your way to heaven. He is the way. And this salvation that God offers is as eternal as God is. I heard the story of a guy, a sailor on the ship USS Reeves. He was, because of a minor infraction, he was busted one rank, he was fined, and he was given extra duty for three weeks. He was really looking forward to celebrating his 21st birthday on July 22nd. And so he consoled himself every night as he was doing his extra duty by repeating this phrase over and over and over again. He'd say, they can bust me, they can find me, but they can't take away my birthday. They can bust me, they can find me, but they can't take away my birthday. And as July 22nd approached, his excitement increased. And when he went to bed on July 21st, he laid there and he happily repeated his self-encouraging phrase, they can bust me, they can find me, but they can't take away my birthday. And then he woke, the next morning when he woke, he found out that the ship had crossed the international dateline and it was July 23rd. <laughs> so many things in this life are uncertain and can be lost, even your birthday. But if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved for eternity. You are eternally saved. Nothing that you do, nothing that happens to you, nothing can take away the gift of eternal life. The salvation that God offers is as eternal as God is. So if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are eternally saved. We are saved by grace, and that grace, the Bible says, is available to all, anybody, for whosoever will, the Bible says. And there's a lot of people that want to add to grace and take away grace and say that grace is only for a select few. But I just simply want to say tonight that I still believe that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. I still believe in salvation by grace through faith. Number two, I still believe in separation. I don't get nervous. We're just going to read the Bible together, all right? Look at verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The same grace that saves our souls changes our lives. That's all the Bible's saying here. The same grace that saves our soul changes our lives. We call this separation. The Bible says that we are called to be separated from sin, yes, but we are to be separated unto God. Not just uh, separated from sin, but separated unto God. For example... When a man and a woman get married, right, they, they separate themselves from all other possible mates and separate themselves completely to each other. Now, just separation from everyone else, that's called being single, right? That, that's not marriage, right? That, that being separated from everyone else doesn't make you married. It's separated from everyone else and separated completely to another. 
And so there's a big difference there. And biblical separation is not just, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or run with those that do. You know, it's not just a list of what you don't do, and, and, and how you dress, and how you do this, and where you go, and where you don't go. That's not biblical separation. Biblical separation is from sin, yes, but it's separated unto God. Someone said it this way, separation without devotion is isolation. Devotion without separation is hypocrisy. And there's definitely a whole lot of that out in, the, in, in Christianity today. There's a whole lot of people that want to talk about how much they love the Lord and they live exactly like the lost world around them. And the Bible says that this grace of God that brings salvation, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So what I'm saying tonight is that there is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. We live in America and America has tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable to the culture. The problem is, though, is that when the church is accepted well in the culture, it's not accepted well by Christ. We're not, it's not our job to make the church palatable and, and acceptable to the culture around us. Our job is to make sure that we live lives that are acceptable unto Jesus Christ. Because, listen, if you don't please God, it really doesn't matter who else you do please. If you spend your life trying to just make everybody else around you happy and try to do what pleases this person and do what pleases this person, and when you're here, you want to please this group, and when you're over here, you want to please this group, you're going to live a miserable existence. Because the truth is, if you don't please God, it really doesn't matter who you do please. Listen, if Jesus can be stripped and mocked and spat upon and be despised and rejected, if he can bear the curse of every man upon his own body, then we can bear his reproach today. If he is willing to do that for us, if he is willing to take my sin upon him, if he's willing to be despised and rejected and beaten and mocked and scourged, then we should be willing to bear his reproach. Paul said to Timothy, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Jesus was the perfect example of this. The Bible says in Hebrews 7:26 that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And yet was, what was Jesus' critics' biggest knock against him? They said constantly that he was a friend of publicans and sinners. So here Jesus went out of his way to reach people. He, he ate with publicans and sinners. He, he, he spent time with them. He witnessed them. He gave of himself to serve them. And yet at the same time, he was holy and harmless and undefiled, separate from sinners. Now only the Holy Spirit can give us this kind of balance that we need to live a godly life in this wicked and ungodly world that we live in. Meaning there's no amount of list of do's and don'ts that can ever suffice. The problem with living by a list of rules is that that keeps you spiritually immature and dependent upon spiritual leaders. And that is not what God wants for your life. God has a far superior method of, of allowing us to live a separated godly life in the world around us, and it's by the presence of the, his Holy Spirit in our life. You see, think of it this way. How many of you, and I'll go ahead and like myself, have a tendency sometimes to find yourself going a little bit faster than the speed limit? Okay, a few of you and a whole lot of liars. All right, we're good. All right. Now, sometimes you can be going down, to, say you're going up 85, and say you're doing 10 miles over the speed limit. You can drive by speed limit sign after speed limit sign after speed limit sign and stay 10 miles over the speed limit. But you know, as soon as you come across that hill or come around a curve and you see that state trooper sitting on the, cur on, the, on the shoulder or in the median there, it doesn't matter if you're speeding or not, you're hitting your brakes. 
immediately you're punching the brakes and you're slowing down. And that's how it is in the Christian life. That's the difference. It's not seeing speed limit signs. It's don't, don't, don't do this. Don't go here. Don't be like this. Don't watch that. No, the, the Holy Spirit of God in our life is that, that, that ever-present help, that ever-present guide that can direct us and convict us when we start going the wrong way and show us the right way to go. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God if we are going to be able to live a godly life in this ungodly world. I don't know how it is at your house, but when someone knocks on our door unannounced, it's an event. It's like if somebody comes over and knocks on the door, we've got two dogs that are both just the little ankle-biting yappers, and so, I mean, they immediately just go berserk. I mean, they're just going like crazy. My kids now are finally getting to the age where they don't just run and open the door for anybody. I mean, you could be standing there with a, a hatchet, and they're just going to sling the door open. You know, it just doesn't matter. They don't look to see who it is first. And so when someone knocks at the door, you got the kids running to the door. you got to stop them. you got the dogs barking. you got to kick them away from the door. My wife's, you know, trying to hide stuff, you know, make, you know, get the laundry off the floor, whatever the case may be, you know, make it presentable. And it's this whole ordeal before you ever open the door. Then you're panicking, you're panicking, you're doing all that, and finally it's like, hey, come on in, you know. How you doing, Steve? And so let's say Steve comes over and you say, Steve, make yourself at home right here on the couch. And uh, do you like any coffee? And so you leave to go get coffee and you come back and Steve's gone. So you look around like, Steve, where'd you go? And you're walking around the house and finally you go upstairs and you find Steve in your bedroom going through your dresser drawers. Like, Steve, what are you doing? It's like, well, you said make myself at home. It's like, no, I meant make yourself at home on that one cushion on the couch right there. Right. And I think, sadly enough, that's exactly what we've done with the Holy Spirit. We've said to the Holy Spirit, come in, sit right here on the couch, and when it's time, we'll pick you up and take you to church, and when it's time for church, we'll, we'll, we'll pick you up, but you can't go into the kitchen, you can't go into the cupboards, you can't go into the entertainment room. You can't go into my work room or my friend room. And we've tried to live this compartmentalized life. And as a result of that, we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're making decisions and we're making choices all throughout our day that are conforming us to the world around us. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not a liquid and you some vessel. He's a person and you're a temple. And until that person has a key to every door and access to every room, you are not filled with the Spirit of God. The only way that we're going to be able to live a separated life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a day and age where Christians are living more and more and more like the world, I still believe in separation. Number three, I still believe in the second coming. Look at verse 13. He says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, I fully agree. It's, it's getting crazy out there, right? I mean, everything just every day you pull up the news, you look on your app, wherever you get your news stream from, or maybe at this point you're just like, you know, forget it. You don't even check anything anymore. You just don't even want to know what's going on. It is definitely getting crazier and crazier in our world as time goes on. And as believers, though, we should be expecting his return, and we should live like those who will very soon see him face to face. I love in 1 John chapter number 2, verse 28, talks about living in such a way that we're not going to be ashamed before him at his coming. We have a blessed hope, the Bible says. As crazy as it's getting out there, the truth is we know how all of this ends. Why are we so confused? We're constantly going through life fretting and worrying, acting like we don't know how this is going to end. We have a blessed hope. People say oftentimes, man, this world is just so confused. This world is upside down. This world is confused. No, 
The world is lost. It's the church that's confused. The world is lost. But so many times Christian people are the ones that are living confused, knowing good and well that God has spelled it out for us. God has told us what to do and what's going to happen. And yet we go through life just acting like, what in the world? How is this? Why is all this happening? There's a lot of wicked people out there. God said evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And yet when we read the headlines, we just act like, why is this, why is this happening? You know, I, I thought that here in America, everything was just going to stay great. People act confused all the time. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter, it talks about the fiery trials that will come upon us. As it said, it says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Did we not know it was going to get rough? You know, preachers have been saying for years, you know, I've read the back of the book and we win. Well, that's true. But you read all the stuff leading up to that? I mean, it, it, there's some crazy stuff that takes place. And God's not kept it from us. He's told us all about it. And I don't know if people were paying attention as they were reading the back of the book. But Jesus is coming again. God tells us that in his word. The Bible clearly, as we just read, calls it our blessed hope. He is coming, and he's not coming to be president. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. He's not coming to take sides. Doesn't matter you Democrat, Republican. He's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. It is our blessed hope. So why are we so worried? Jesus said, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So it's also a clear, definitive declaration that Jesus is God here. As it's called, uh, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we face difficulties, for sure. There's a lot of injustice that goes in our world, in our world definitely. But tonight, I'm not cast down, because I still believe in the second coming. I still believe we have a blessed hope. And then lastly, number four, I still believe that we have a Savior worth speaking about. Verse 14, it says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Now, if you, if you get so worked up about all that's going on in this world as a Christian, knowing how it's all going to end, knowing that you have a blessed hope, knowing that you have eternal life, imagine how your lost coworker feels about everything. Imagine how your lost neighbor feels about everything that's taking place. You can get all worked up and frantic and stressed out about everything that's going on. As a Christian, imagine how they feel about it. You must tell them about our Savior with a heart of compassion. It's not our job to beat down people and belittle them for what they think and, and why they feel the way they do and what they believe. No, no, we must reach out to people with a heart of compassion. Can I remind you that kindness has converted more sinners than zeal, eloquence, or learning ever has? You say, well, I just don't know what I would say. Uh, you know, what if they start asking me a bunch of questions? What if they ask me about the dinosaurs? What, how, I don't know the Bible well enough. Listen, if you have a burden for people, and you have a heart of compassion, and you're saved, and you know how you got saved, God can help you tell others about him. It is God's plan for those who are saved to tell those who aren't saved how to get saved. And so if you're saved tonight, if you know Christ is your Savior, it is not just a good idea. It is your responsibility to tell others about him. And he can help you. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the ins and outs of all the Bible and, and be able to answer every question that could possibly come up. If you have a heart of compassion, God will bless you as you try to share your faith and tell others about him. Although the Bible says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Jesus himself was a personal soul winner. 
The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. There in John chapter 4, dealing with a woman at the well, the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus had time to receive small children. He met with Nicodemus at night. He ate with publicans and sinners. And now he says, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. Jesus gave us the example, and now he said, it's your turn. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. It is our job as Christians to be soul winners. R.A. Torrey said, no man has the right to call himself a follower of Jesus if he's not a soul winner. I didn't say it. Don't get mad at me. That was R.A. Torrey. He said, no man has the right to call himself a follower of Jesus if he's not a soul winner. If you think about it, it just makes sense. Because Jesus himself said, follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. And so you can't say that you're following Jesus if you're not fishing for men. If you were following Jesus, you would be fishing for men. And so as a follower of Christ, if we are going to name the name of Christ and claim to be a disciple of Jesus, we must be about his business. We must be soul winners. The early church, as you read your Bible, did so much with so little. And the church today oftentimes is doing so little with so much. We have so many means and avenues before us to get the gospel all over the world, and it seems like the church has lost its zeal. Let me ask you, when's the last time you've wept for a soul? When's the last time that you had a lost person by name on your personal prayer list? I'm not talking about the church prayer list that might have lost people on there. Your personal prayer list. When's the last time you've prayed for somebody by name for them to be saved on your personal prayer list? When's the last time you drove your neighborhood and just prayed for the souls of the people that live in your neighborhood? Let me ask it to you this way. If God were to answer every one of your prayers for the past week, how many people would be saved? If God was to answer every one of your prayers that you prayed this past week, how many people would have been saved? Or would you just been happier, healthier, and wealthier? We are to be soul winners. He left us the example. He's told us what to do. If we are following him, we are to be telling others about him. Soul winning is every Christian's business. A Christian that refuses to win souls is like a doctor that refuses to see patients or a pilot that refuses to fly a plane. That's why we're here. It's what we are to do. When Jesus said to you, come unto me, you came, and now he says, go, and you should go. In the first half of the 20th century, there was a missionary in China who did a great job as a linguist and a diplomat in his work for the Lord. His abilities were so outstanding that one of the American companies in China tried to hire them, hire him. They offered him an attractive salary, uh, attractive job and a salary to match, but he turned them down. He told him, he said, God sent me to China as a missionary and that's what I'm going to do. Now he thought that was going to end it, but sure enough, they came back with another offer with a little bit more money. He turned it down. They came back a third time, now doubling the initial salary that they had originally offered him. And he said this. He said, it's not your salary that is too little. It is the job that's too small. You know, there's no greater work that you could give your life to than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, than to tell others about your Savior. Listen, I I believe wholeheartedly if you're here tonight, you're saved. If you're saved, you're grateful to God that you're saved. You're glad that you're saved. You're glad that you know the Lord. You're glad that you know that you're on your way to heaven, that your sins are forgiven, that his Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that you have that relationship with him, that fellowship with him daily. But how often do we just sit back and we're content to keep it to ourselves? There's no greater work that you could give your life to than to tell others about your Savior. There's a lot of things we can do 
to help our fellow man. And we should. We should try to be a, a blessing and a help to those around us as we can. But if we don't give them the gospel, all we do is make this world a better place from which to die and go to hell. Well, what good is it if we put food in someone's stomach and clothes on their back, maybe a roof over their head, if we don't give them the gospel? All we do is make this place a better, a better place from which to die and go to hell. We must be soul winners. In the midst of a world where it's not popular to mention Jesus' name, I still believe we have a Savior we're speaking about. There's no doubt that tonight, 2024, that the principles and the precepts of this book are under attack. There is a very specific agenda that is out to uh, attack the Word of God and attack the, the principles of the Bible and those who say they believe the Bible. And many are wavering and drifting and leaving the truths that they once stand, stood for. But can I tell you, like Paul told Titus, speak these things. Don't cower to the culture around you. Don't, don't, don't drift with the way the wind blows back and forth. Stand firm upon the word of God and speak these things. Hold to these things. Encourage one another with these things. Let me just ask you tonight, have you received God's salvation by grace through faith? Listen, if you're not here tonight, if you're here tonight and you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you. Somebody can take a Bible and show you from God's Word how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if this is the first time or a hundredth time that you've stepped into a church. You can leave here tonight knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven, that in the sight of God, He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can leave here a child of God on your way to heaven. Number two, let me ask you if you are saved, are you living a separated life? Are you living a life that is filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God? It's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Trying to adhere to some man-made list or some man-made standard is never going to cut it. You have to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Number three, is your focus on the terrible things that are going on around us? Or are you looking for our blessed hope? The Bible says at any moment, at any moment, Jesus could return. And we need to be every day living, looking for his coming, looking for his appearing. And then lastly, number four, who have you tried to tell about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? God has a plan and a purpose for you being here. And a big part of that plan is to tell people about him. Because we still have a Savior that's worth speaking about. 